Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Choose Inclusion. Our special segment, Black Voices Matter, is continuing strong for the foreseeable future. And uh, today we're, we're really honored because um, we have uh, Wadzanai Motsi Katai from Germany. We, we thought, you know, we're, we're big on the, the global perspective and we, we wanted to reach out and, and really kind of see if we could get an understanding of what Black Lives Matter, you know, first of all, what the situation in America looks like from outside, but also how, you know, to talk a little bit like about the, this isn't just about America, right? This is a global thing. So um, Nina, Mike, good morning to you both as well. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome, Wadzi. Thank you for being here. Wadzi, by the way, works for um, the Center for Intersectional Justice, or CIG, in Berlin. Um, welcome, Wadzi. And, and how are you doing? Thank you for having me today. Um, I'm doing okay. It's been one of those weeks where you <laughs> kind of just question everything. But other than that, I'm, I'm doing okay. So Wadzi, you have a, a really interesting perspective. I'm really excited that you're here today um, because I think this is a perspective that our listeners have definitely not been able to hear so far. Can you tell us a little bit about your background so they can get a sense of you know, what, what the voice is that you're bringing to the table today? Yeah, um, so I was born and raised in Zimbabwe. Um, I studied undergrad in the United States. And then I actually um, took a year to study the motivation for youth political activism around the world, which is kind of how I got politicized. Um, and since then I've been working in public health in Zimbabwe and uh, most recently I've been based in Berlin working for the Center for Intersectional Justice, but really focused on trying to help people understand intersecting systems of, of discrimination and oppression and then thinking through collectively how we start dismantling them piece by piece. Yeah, so that's kind of my, um, my well, my, my journey to this, to this conversation. Um, and I think one of the things why I started by saying, you know, this week has been one of those weeks where I question everything is I've just really been thinking about what it means to be a black activist, what it means to um, be cognizant of the different struggles across the continents, um, but also trying to think about how the struggle for genuine equality and genuine racial equality also kind of sets the standard in a lot of ways for the struggle for other types of equality and how we can be a little bit more inclusive across the board. And so um, I've just had a, a quite a few questions <laughs> popping up in my mind this week um, and things that I'm looking forward to chatting through with you all today. I mean, it, it sounds like, I mean, the, the work you're doing is, uh, you know, it just sounds like you were poised for this fight. You know what I mean? Like it's, and I agree with Nina. Like excited because again, it's it's a, it's a it's an interesting perspective we hadn't had yet. The global perspective, but also because we, before we went live, we were talking about some of the things that are starting to happen in Germany and and that have happened in France. Do you, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because that's an interesting conversation that I think to Nina's point earlier it's gonna hit America soon. Absolutely, so um, I think this week, well, it hasn't started this week, it's been a point of conversation for a while, but Germany is considering 
removing the term race from Article 3 of its constitution. Um, and es essentially, the article um, provides a framework for um, anti-discrimination efforts and explicitly outlines that no one shall be able to discriminate against anyone else based on gender, home of origin, ability, um, and, and race is one of those things. Um, but of late, this proposal has gathered steam, <laughs> mostly pushed by um, the Green Party to some extent, which is worrying. Um, but essentially the conversation has been, we feel that race, since it is not a biologically correct term, um, therefore does not belong in the constitution. And I think the irony there, but you know, science was used to justify race and now we're using science to <laughs> justify the, the removal of race. But also um, the sense that race is kind of, the term itself has evolved beyond kind of what the eugenics conversation was. We're really focused now on, on what it is as a social construct and how it serves as a legal tool um, to challenge systemic racism, racism in particular. Um, and I think for me, the, the point of contention in this conversation, so a lot of black activists, black German activists who advocated for the term to be changed. Um, so to a term which roughly, very roughly translated in English means racial attribution. Um, and essentially the idea behind that is to say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a person of color. There's nothing wrong with being black. And therefore it's not that we should be focused on you know, someone treated me differently because I'm black, but really be focused on the kind of what they ascribe to blackness and how they view blackness and what makes them act in a certain way as a result, which I think is actually a really good point and a really good conversation around how we conceptualize discrimination and who bears that responsibility to change and also to prove their innocence. I mean, I would argue that, you know, if the person or the institution that's uh, been accused of racism should bear the, the responsibility for proving their innocence rather than the person who's been discriminated against having to prove that actually discrimination did take place. So I think it's an important conversation. I, I just, I'm not convinced that by tackling race in particular, um, that that's the solution um, or, or that will lead to progress in the German context. I think it's very much a, an effort to undercut kind of the surge of, of activism and this growing call for, for greater justice and equality in a lot of ways. Rodney, uh, this is Mike here. So if, I'd be curious from the, so, so racial attribution, is that, is that a term that you're comfortable with? I mean, what, what, what other alternatives are, are you hearing and, and how do you, how do we keep this uh, in the Constitution, um, and, and kind of you know, I uh, gosh, I hate to yeah. use the word 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 policing, but it's uh -huh. like it's a thing. Like you know, being being the token blind guy, like you know, there's all all sorts of words that are used that uh, let's let's say can be interpreted as slightly discriminatory, right? Microaggressions, uh -huh. but but I I I tend to not necessarily focus on that and and really focus on okay so can we come up with a, a a fairly common vernacular that can be agreed upon so what other mm -hmm. what other terms have been thrown out there from from your standpoint um so as as far as i know so the conversation right now is in three camps either keep the word completely remove it or replace it with racial attribution um and i agree with you i don't think it's 
I think the challenge in this conversation isn't so much about the terminology, but it's legal implication here. Because race as a, as a term, there is some legal basis for you to then use that to challenge um, different institutions and in different spaces. And racial attribution, there kind of isn't a precedent for that at the moment, which is why I think it actually needs to be a bigger conversation about how we view discrimination and then how do you change each of the constructs and each of those um, terms accordingly to reflect this new line of thinking, because then it gives it more of a legal framework than just replacing a word. Um, but I do agree with you. I mean, like when you're looking at the, the social dialogue component of it, it is it, it does seem like just a, a slight word change. But my understanding from legal scholars is that the legal implications would be significant. And it has been tried in, um, in certain courts throughout the country. And, and what we've seen is that it just makes it much harder to, to actually be able to prove discrimination in a lot of senses because again it's, it becomes focused on the in individual and it becomes focused on intent. I guess for me the challenge also is that I'm, I'm Zimbabwean right? and so I live in Germany, I'm a black person living in Germany, but I'm also new to this conversation and the ways I feel about it but there are also ways that people who were born and raised here feel about that. Um, and one of the things I've been grappling with is how do you position yourself um, as an ally to other Black communities, right? I by no means want to be the Zimbabwean who comes in and says, you know, this is what I think Black Germans should be doing. Like, I think there's a way to engage in a conversation that shows that, no, I know you know your context better than I would, um, but I'm hoping that we can engage in a, in a productive conversation based on, like, my experiences in the U.S. and definitely seeing how there's a common understanding of race as a construct in the US. And very few, I mean, very few people I encountered would think eugenics when you mention race. Um, similarly to Zimbabwe, I don't think when people, when you say race, people are necessarily thinking about, you know, any biological elements, they very much understand that it's a system that's attached to colonialism, it's attached to patriarchy, it's attached to, to capitalism. You know, that, that link is made very clear. But for some reason in the German context, it's just much harder um, to do that. What has been some of the, the perceptions that you've seen um, outside of the US, especially from Black voices about what's about the Black Lives Matter movement, about what's happening in the US to Black people? Um, well, interestingly enough, today I saw where I read an article that um, indicated that the African, 54 African states have um, requested that the UN actually engage in discussion around police brutality <laughs> against black bodies globally, which, I mean, that's kind of a, a first, I would say, and like a very pan-African um, sentiment and, and move. But when kind of the, the protests first erupted and um, the video of George Floyd's murder was first, um, you know, shown, I think there were a lot of Africans who felt and a lot of Zimbabweans in particular who felt that we, to advocate for racial justice in the US without talking about injustice in, in our own country was kind of hypocritical. Um, there were a lot of people who were just urging um, everyone to take their stand, say, okay, fine, if you, if you wanna talk about Black Lives Matter, then they have to matter everywhere. And I think for me, I'm absolutely in agreement. I think I cannot talk about the US without or advocate for justice in the US without advocating for justice in Zimbabwe. And so particularly right now, I think our, our country is facing a critical moment where, I mean, COVID-19 
comes at a time where our systems were already barely hanging on. The public health system has deteriorated significantly. And I used to work in that system. And so I know even as the, the staff and the healthcare workers are, you know, doing everything they can, they're being paid less than $3 a day, you know, and expected to survive on that, you know, and, and still perform and, um, and provide services to, to a country of, of several million people. And even without the necessary materials or, or um, you know, health equipment, they're still expected to function. And, and how do you like, how do I connect that kind of almost, I would say, a form of state violence, because our, our government has very much neglected that system. Um, and I mean, right now, actually, there's a there's a coronavirus case going on um, around the government having signed a procurement deal with a company that overestimated the cost of certain services or the cost of coronavirus testing kits, right? So where they should have been a dollar or $3, they were charged at $20, you know, and that deal was signed and was fine until an investigative journalist took that over. And so in this conversation, like I must call that out too, right? Because in that sense, when you fail to look after your people, when you let corruption and capitalism be the driver of, of how you manage state resources, then that also is a form of violence against the people that you're supposed to be protecting. Similarly, um, letting people go to hospitals that don't have equipment, right? Where people are literally just walking in ready um, and being put on beds or sometimes on the floor and left to die. And that's not an exaggeration. So I think we have to look at how these systems continue to perpetuate violence against black bodies and, and how we view black bodies in different contexts. Like my government took over a colonial system and it's very much like tweaked it and, and refined it to maintain power and oppression. And so in that sense, like what 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 role does race and colonialism play in, in kind of the new patriarchal norm that is that is ruling in Zimbabwe, right? And and how are they furthering kind of some of these notions that were created by a foreign system, but now they've adapted even as black men and, and women against their own people. Sorry, that was a very long-winded way of explaining some of the connections, but <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I thank you for that because I think that again, like this, this is the, the and why why we keep talking about how overwhelming all of this is, and and you know how truly systemic and and how all of this just literally flows through everything. I mean, that's the point, and, and the point you just made is so interesting to me. I hadn't even thought of this, but because um, we talked about sort of the differences between generations yesterday with with our friend Janet and you know the the kind of older generations who sort of had this mentality of like keep your mouth shut get a job take care of your family and that's it right like don't stir the pot and what you just talked about is are, are these these constructs created by white men that are now being taken over by black men and maintained, I, I imagine similarly because of that same mentality, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it's continuing from a survival perspective from, um, you know, then there's the whole layer of, of capitalism and money mm -hmm. and power and how that just continues to drive all this. And that's like, the, I feel like, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on how we start to change? Like, how do we, how do we tackle all this? Like a yeah, I like mean, 
and and that I think is, is probably the hardest question that activists are faced with today. Because I, I mean, there are a couple of great proposals I think out there. So, for example, we have the conversation around defunding the police. Um, and for me, like in Zimbabwe, yes, potentially we could defund the police, right? I mean, there are a couple of other things we need to do first. But I would actually suggest defunding the military as a starting point, right? The military industrial complex must go. Um, and it kind of perpetuates this trickle down effect of violence throughout our society and kind of a, a legitimization of that in different forms. So for example, in the EU context, the um, European border agency, so Frontex is, is literally the, the external border police force in a lot of senses. Um, I mean, they do do a lot of other programs and they do have kind of just regular staff, but they are also very much building up kind of a, um, a police force to man the borders and essentially keep that separation between Europe and the rest of the world, primarily Africa, right? So the sense of, again, keeping Black people out. And the result of that is a lot of migrants who are having to find alternative routes of migration that are very dangerous, that um, expose them to slave labor, that um, either get them put in, in kind of these uh, processing camps, <laughs> Um, which is a cross between refugee camps slash, you know, just really terrible conditions. And I, I, I don't understand how we, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be done, right? And I think we need to not just look at pulling things out at the top, but really look at the roots and the foundational elements of a lot of these conversations. So that's the first thing. And then the second, I would suggest that, again, we think about how all of these things connect, right? Um, for me, particularly as an African, I cannot separate race, colonialism, and capitalism. Those three things are so inherently tied together in the history of our continent um, that you can't address or decolonize without looking at alternative forms of, of economics. You can't, we can't keep capitalism as a system. And I think when we say that, people are worried that, okay, we'll turn to communism. And, Quite frankly, let's, let's be fair, communism has not evolved as much as capitalism have, has over time because it was stopped in its tracks, right? So we don't know what potential good or bad capitalism, I mean, communism might be able to have it if it's tweaked a little bit. But I mean, I'm not suggesting we take communism either. I'm just suggesting that we really think radically about what our systems of um, economics are and how we value things and value life and services. Um, and really think about that. Circular economy is another interesting field that people are, are really grappling with. But again, does it mimic capitalism too much? You know, is it kind of greenwashing? That's something we need to think through. Um, but when we when we look about when we look at that, thinking about how the capitalism then impacts access to resources, affects um, people of color, affects black people, how that um, interlinks with patriarchy and an African context. Again, patriarchy is, is very much linked to that system of power and oppression. Um, for example, in Zimbabwe this week, three young um, opposition um, leaders are currently being held for reporting rape. Um, and they reported rape um, saying that, they, I mean, they've been raped by the state police. Um, and whether or not that's true, you know, I think the government owes it to them to investigate that, right? I think they've kind of taken the defensive and said, we don't abuse people, even though that's very ironic. Um, but they've taken that very defensive position and used it now to essentially victimize women who were assaulted. Um, and what that sends the message is, is that if you 
report sexual assault, this, this could happen to you. And so how do I as a black woman now feel operating in that space and not having access to certain levers of power or regulation that's supposed to protect me in a system where already I'm considered lesser than a man and I'm considered lesser than anyone who's not black. And so for me, I think that's, we really need to think about how these different things touch upon each other and reinforce oppression for, for different groups and, and, and start dismantling all of that again at the roots and, and really trying to figure out, okay, so this thing um, funnels into this, like the pharmaceutical industrial complex, or like, you know, factors into health systems. How do we then start um, reimagining what the world could be? And I would say we shouldn't be afraid of that. I think there's a, there's a fear of, oh, well, what could we create that's new? But capitalism has only existed as we know it for the past 60 to 80 years, which means in another lifetime, we could have something completely new. Well, and, and I love that, Okay. Oh, go ahead, Nina. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good point because I think that, you know, over in the US, I think whenever you start talking about dismantling capitalism, there's such a knee-jerk reaction to that. I, I mean, I think there's even like a knee-jerk reaction happening right now to defund the police. But there's there's nuances and subtleties to what that actually means, right? It's not saying like, let's get rid of an entire system. It's talking about um, adjusting and thinking about how the system's incentives work and um, how the system itself is uh, reinforcing injustices. And so I was wondering, could you, could you talk about what, 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 um, what elements of capitalism specifically are kind of the, the components, like what role has businesses played in this and what are things that we can see businesses and organizations start to do differently to start dismantling mm. um i mean i think that the kind of potentially like bigger picture things i would maybe suggest like a couple of more practical things um so for example like i don't understand why organizations never show um people's salaries across an organization, right? Um, I mean, I know there are a couple of good examples of trying to be a little bit more transparent around things like that, but in a conversation where everyone should be adequately equipped to negotiate for a living wage, um, why would you keep that a secret from others and, and expose it to others? I mean, that really just implies that you know you're tipping the scales in favor for some people against others. Um, another interesting like example I have is partly because I'm based in Germany, there's a lot of push for German companies to engage with African companies um, and this sense of sanitizing the African context and protecting them so they feel comfortable investing in Africa. Um, and for me, again, that conversation is ridiculous. I mean, if, if, if you want to do business in a context where you want to um, essentially take out a bench in a context, get to know the context, right? I mean, get to know how business works in the space that you're entering, get to know how the people operate, what do they value, what, what's important for them. Don't come in with a parachute so that you're cushioned, um, usually at the dis to the disadvantage of, of the local um, business owners in the sector. I mean, I would say um, there are a lot of like policy and legal tools that we really need to think about that support kind of the grassroots business movement. Um, there just isn't enough investment, you know, that particularly for minority communities, 
communities of color. I know for African entrepreneurs, this is issue number one, for sure. Um, so even if you had a good idea, even if you had a transformative idea, chances are you won't be able to get it off the ground. Um, and, and so thinking about ways that we kind of support that bottom-up approach. Um, so we let people come up with ideas themselves and figure out like what do we want to prioritize and then work towards that, um, rather than what is predominantly been the top-down approach of big multinationals coming to, to stake their claim in, in different economies. Yeah, I, I this I love the, the conversation about getting down to the roots of things. I think, yeah, you know, our audience in particular are sort of asking this question of like, what do we do? And I think that's, mm -hmm. this has been a great roadmap to sort of tackling these systemic things within our organizations, right? To, you got to get to the root. And first of all, you got to realize it, admit that it, it's flowing through absolutely every policy and process that's in place. And, and, yeah. and so this is going to be an effort. This is going to be a company-wide effort, I imagine, for yeah, leaders I mean, to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And also no one has the answers. I think we kind of start things assuming that there must be a, a solution, but we should be comfortable with like, trial and error at this stage because we're just trying to create a better world we know what we have doesn't cut it um so we should be a little bit more daring in our, in our pursuit for change so I, I know that the center for intersectional justice um is based in berlin and mm -hmm. you know, is focused on anti-discrimination and quality policy around europe but I think, you know, one of the things we've talked about today is that this is such a global thing, right? It's not Eurocentric, it's not Afro-centric, uh, Afro mm -hmm. it's not US-centric. Um, what, should, what should we be doing from a global perspective? What should we be thinking about from a global perspective? Um, I mean, I don't know if I could say that there's a specific thing that people should be thinking about, but maybe they're just two points. Um, with two guiding principles of how to be thinking about these different things. So um, the first for me, I think, um, is this Martin Luther King's speech around where do we go from here? Um, and I was reading it for different reasons this week, but one of the things that he says is that we must be dissatisfied with inequality. Um, and I think that was definitely a good guiding principle. You know, and, an environment where you know as a human being what kind of life you want to live, the things that you hope for for yourself and, and, and the kind of comforts you would like to have. Assume that as the baseline for the person next to you, regardless of who they are. Um, and it seems simple to say, but I, it just, just think about that. Like, and if you see a discrepancy, then be dissatisfied with that discrepancy. You know, Be dissatisfied that in a building where you can climb a flight of stairs potentially because you're able-bodied, somebody else can't because there isn't an elevator, right? So they don't have the same access to just a simple physical space that you do. Like be dissatisfied about that, agitate for change and ensure that the, the playing field is level. Um, and then the second thing I would um, say is, is not to be afraid of anger. Um, I think for the past couple of weeks, I've, I've really been struggling with, okay, so where does this like feeling of frustration and let's burn it all down go? Um, and I watched an amazing video um, by Kimberly Jones um, a few days ago, where she essentially 
I mean, you could see where that, I mean, a lot of how she communicated what she felt just resonated with me, you know? And and in, in her statements, I realized, yes, every we have a right to be angry. Like you should not be okay with um, people dying because they're just looking for um, new opportunities to live and work. That shouldn't be okay. I mean, but channel that anger for good use. As Audrey Lord says, you know, use that anger for, for radical, no, basic and radical change is what she says. And I think it's, it's important to remember that it's okay to be angry, but what you do with that anger, what, how you channel it um, to dismantle systems is, is really what makes the difference. Vajani, well, I appreciate that. I, um, I heard a term that uh, resonated with me about that in sustaining the, the late great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. not being not being okay with this and how to move forward. And the term that I've adopted is being effectively pissed off. Yes, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. Mike, Mike's mic drops are back. That was, that was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, Wadzi, yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for your perspective. Um, it really has been just amazing to kind of listen and learn uh, even even more about about how this is a, a truly global issue that you know that that everybody is dealing with this right. Like America's not alone, um, and it's this is a global human issue. Uh, so thank you for your time. Thank, thank you, you for having uh, me. For your wisdom, yeah, always. And let us know how we can help you. Obviously, we want to continue hanging out as much as possible. So we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll, we'll come to Berlin soon if we that can. Would be <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all well, just itching to, to get out of here. Get so. away. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That is fair. No, so. we would love to have you here. <laughs> awesome. That would be wonderful. Well, well, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, audience. You know, we're, like we said, we're just going to keep keep moving along with this journey with Black Voices Matter until we start to see some change. So please stick with us. Um, you know, if anybody has has suggestions or if anyone in the audience, you know, knows Black voices who want to who want to be heard and come on the show, please email us. We, you can contact us through the website. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So again, thank you all very much. Uh, Chooseinclusion.com. Thanks, Watsi. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. And um, we'll talk to you all soon. Take care. Thanks so much.